Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley from the Thread Bible Podcast. Today's episode deals with the question, are all humans about the same, or are people really good or bad to their core? Stay tuned for this discussion in this week's episode of Thread. Welcome to Thread, God's Word tying together all the pieces of your life through verse-by-verse study of the Bible. In Season 4, we're exploring the bedrock of the entire Bible, Genesis 1-12. through Season 4 of the Thread Bible Podcast is brought to you by MediaLightOnline.com. And MediaLite is offering its most popular course for free right now. Deepen your ability to communicate hope to others. Learn to unlock the creative potential buried within your mobile device. We'll teach you how to plan and produce short video devotionals, even if you don't see yourself as a Bible scholar. It's all available right now for free at MediaLightOnline.com. All right, in our last two episodes, we've traced the concept that there are two lines of humans in the, in the Bible thinking. There is first the seed of the serpent, and that word serpent was nakash, the seed of the nakash, and that was a serpent at the tree tempting Adam and Eve. And uh, there's the seed of the nakash, and then there's the seed of the woman, which is the seed, like on the one hand, the one group is the seed of the serpent, and the other group is the seed of the serpent crusher. And they are, you know, in a battle against each other. So Cain, firstborn human, firstborn son of Adam, was also the first to use his free will and to choose to lie. And then first to hate, first to use love to deceive, first to murder and murdered his own brother. He was the first to persecute someone for their form of worship. And Cain stands as the founder and patriarch of those who walk away from the face of the Lord. These are that line of humans, those who promote themselves, those who abuse others, those who use power to become personally rich, those who crush anyone who gets in their way. Cain's line, as we saw in in the last episode, they grow wealthy through herding. They become notable as musicians. They are outstanding metal workers, but they also become more and more selfish and violent. And Cain's genealogy in Scripture stops with Lamech, and he's an arrogant man. He's the first to accumulate wives as property, and he boasts that he is more violent than Cain. And so this was the the example given in the last few verses of the line of Cain and the kind of humans that descend from him spiritually. Well, thank God there's another line of humans on the earth. And this one is referred to, as we said, as the line of the woman or the seed of the woman. And these are children of hope. They are the focus of Genesis chapter 5. And the founder of this line of humans is Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve, because the second son was murdered by Cain. Now, his name, Seth, means appointed. But the rabbis often consider that Seth means foundation, because he's the child God gives to the world through Eve 
to start the human line over again. You know, Cain's life, the life of the firstborn human, was not just a waste, but actually a positive source of evil in the world. And through Cain's line, evil grows throughout the world. But through Seth, God appoints a a new line of humans. And this is a line of humans to make a new foundation for mankind. Let's read from Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. And again, Adam knew his wife, and she bore a son And she called his name, it's cool that Eve is now naming things, she called his name Seth, for God has appointed another seed for me in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. And to Seth, to him also, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Well, the Creator's blessing and the Creator's command to to humankind, as he installed them as Lord of the earth, was be fruitful and multiply. So it's not surprising that the story of mankind's development is designed in the book of Genesis, actually even in the New Testament, uh, around the genealogies of each main character in the story, because, you know, the genealogy is important all the way to the story of Jesus, the perfect human, the snake crusher. So, genealogy connects to be fruitful and multiply. And so, we see the fruit and we see the multiplication that comes from the life of each of these humans. Seth's seed, try to say that ten times fast, His seed he named Enosh, which means human, but in a different way. It means human in a way that highlights the frailty of a human. We are mortal. We are easily killed. We need a protector. We need a provider. And we rightly turn to our maker. And we have every hope and expectation that he will gladly be our father, and our friend. Seth believed in the sovereign power of Yahweh, and he believed in his protection as the creator of frail humans, and that he would be our defender and the son of Seth. Enosh listened to his father's words, and he took them to heart. And there's something very beautiful said of Enosh in Chapter 4, verse 26, it says, It was then that men began to call upon the name of Yahweh. Wow, what an important event in the history of humans after the fall. This is our first sign of hope that there would come a human line that would call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord. This is an important concept in the Bible. So let's take a little rabbit trail here and let's trace this idea. Because it doesn't just mean, you know, to make a verbal appeal like, you know, uh, with Enosh, people went outside and just yelled up, you know, Yahweh. It, It doesn't mean to just make a verbal appeal. It's a lot bigger 
an idea than that. Uh, and the, probably the clearest way to understand it is to jump into the New Testament to an example where this where this is used. Uh, in Acts chapter 25, verse 11, Paul is on trial, and he is dealing with a an official, and he's presenting his case in court, and he's frustrated at the lack of justice that he is receiving, that they're, you know, they're not following what he feels like is a proper policy concerning him. And finally, he shouts out, a lot of the English translate it and say, I appeal to Caesar. But literally what he says is, I call upon Caesar. I call upon the name of Caesar. Uh, it means, you know, so now let's unpack that. It means that Paul acknowledges the lordship of Caesar, that Caesar is king and rightly the king of the Roman Empire. Paul is a citizen of the Roman Empire. And he says, I acknowledge the lordship of Caesar, not you. I call upon the name of Caesar. Secondly, it means I submit to Caesar's rule. I am a citizen under Caesar. And thirdly, I place myself under his authority, no matter what he decides, because, you know, you couldn't appeal it beyond Caesar. So, you know, it's normally people would have their first case. And then if you didn't like how it went, you'd appeal to his boss and you would keep going up the line until you hit Caesar. He was your last, uh, your last chance. Paul just starts with Caesar. I call upon the name of Caesar to call to call upon the name of the Lord. It's a sign that you are submitted to the Lord. It's a sign that you are loyal to the Lord. And in referencing uh, the God Yahweh in a world where so many other gods are worshipped, it is a way of saying you are the only true God. You are the only true King. And this begins in the human community you know, we, we used to walk with God, and then there was the fall. And then in the recovery of humans, you know, the first family is Adam and Eve and Cain. Then Cain turns out to be the seed of the devil, you know, and he's, he's destroying, he kills his own brother. He, he destroys the family. There's not a family anymore. There's just him, and he goes off on his own. And, but, you know, uh, Seth... It comes back now. God appoints a new line of humans. And Seth has this amazing son, Enosh. And Enosh is the first to call upon the name of the Lord, to place himself in this kind of relationship again with Yahweh. Uh, let's go back to Paul again. Romans uh, 10, 12, Paul says, The same Lord is Lord of all, and he is rich to all who call upon him. And then that famous passage in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever submits themselves to the Lord, whoever is loyal to the Lord, whoever acknowledges that Christ is their only king, that he is the only true God and Lord of the earth. If you stand in that relationship, Paul said, you shall be saved. You know, that's calling on the name of the Lord. It's not just a thing you shout. It's not just words you say. It's a posture 
that you assume. It's a hope in your heart, and it's the it's an ongoing conversation. You know, you're calling upon the name of the Lord. You are talking to Yahweh. You are you are speaking your heart. You're developing a relationship with Him. So, Seth's line through the initiative of Enosh began to, you know, they looked around them. They could see the family of Cain and what they were doing to the world. They saw the descent of society into corruption. And we're going to learn more about that in the next few episodes. And the the world just starts on this deep downward path. And, you know, Seth's line also, they could feel the strong downward pull to our, you know, to base animalism among humans that they felt and they witnessed the beast of sin and and they saw the emptiness and the vanity of life cut off from Yahweh. You know, Cain's line walked away from the face of the Lord. Cain's line persecuted those who worship the Lord and worship him with integrity. But the children of Seth called upon the name of the Lord. They established their submission to the Lord. They established that they would be loyal to the Lord and that they would be exclusively the Lord's. He was their only God. He was their only king. And they related to him that way. And that's the importance of this section. You know, a lot of times when you run into genealogies, people just skip over them. There is nothing in Genesis that is just there. None of it is just history. Every word of it is designed to speak meaning to people in exile. And so we do well to step back from anything that seems puzzling to us or tedious to us and say, why is this here? You know, uh, not just why is this here to me today? What is God saying to me, 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 me? But in the bigger picture, when, you know, this book is speaking to a planet of people who are exiled from the garden, they are not in the kind of world that the Father created, and it gives them a message. And in these verses, we have a message of hope, and we need it because humans just keep screwing this thing up so bad. God gives us chance after chance, and generation after generation of humans turn their back on God, and they use their free will to push him away and to walk away from him. But you've got this, you know, this section that's sort of buried in genealogy, and it starts to show us that there's another possibility, you know, that there's still some people, they're not a lot, and, and they may not be, you know, the because one thing that's that's interesting to note in this genealogy, and if you just, we're, we're going to kind of bounce through it pretty fast because there's nothing, there's nothing all that outstanding. It's not like, and these are the great, these are cool guys because they made the first, you know, battleship or whatever. That isn't why they're here. This is a small group. And they might not be the richest, and they might not be the most powerful, and they might not be the ones famous, but they're not the ones that self-promote. And these are the ones who walk with God. This is a beginning of remnant theology, that in all the earth, there is a precious subset of humans 
that the Father knows. He watches their life carefully because they are the ones who call upon the name of the Lord. They honor Him. They fear the Lord. They reverence Him. They love the Lord. They want to love what He loves and hate what He hates, and they are walking with their Maker, and He knows who they are. And I'm, I'm believing that you're one of those and that the Father knows you, that heaven knows who you are. And they are watching you in this great spiritual rebellion that we're all caught up in and this, this huge spiritual war. It's so apparent anymore. The gloves are off and there's not even an attempt to hide it anymore. Evil is so out there. Perversion, malice, it is so in our face. But somewhere in this planet, this totally messed up world, there are some really good people. And they are sown like precious seed in fields of weeds. And the Father knows them. He is watching them. And he is here to be father and friend to those who call upon the name of the Lord. And Paul um, encourages us, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He will be Savior to you if you just respond to Him because the Father has always been looking out in love. We'll be right back. So we go now to chapter uh, 5, and chapter 5 wants to trace this remnant. They want to trace, it wants to trace this line of humans, and uh, it begins with man's original nobility and the original calling of the human race. And I'll just read chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. On the day God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and he blessed them, and called their name Adam on the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years, and he begot in his likeness after his image, and he called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he begot Seth were 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Adam, which he lived, were 930 years, and he died. We could add as promised. We know... Uh, Adam has lots of sons and daughters. The intent of this book is not to give you a proper genealogy of Adam and say, let's look at all the descendants of Adam. Because, I mean, if you live that long and you have children, who knows how many children, they're only interested in the children that are part of this story. Because, you know, as part of editing is part of good storytelling. But there's a reason for bringing up Seth. There's a reason for Enosh. And there's a reason all the way through 
this line. Um, I don't have time to go into this, and it, it's probably too tedious for a lot of people. But if you notice verses 1 through 4, uh, if you read it in Hebrew, the, the word Adam is in there like five times. And it's used differently all the way through it. And a lot of translations kind of make a, because in a sense, you're having to make a value, uh, a, a judgment on how to translate this. Because sometimes it means mankind. Sometimes it means the original creation. And sometimes it means the name of the man who was the first creation. Uh, now, what I think is really interesting is um, finally Adam gets a name. He's just called the man, and now that word, the man, becomes his proper name. And in verse 2, after it says, when God created man, all these are Adam, 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 okay? So on the day that God created man, and we're going to take that mankind, in the likeness of God, he made him male and female. He created them because, again, Eve was Adam. Eve is not Adam plus something else, Adam plus something else God put together. Eve is Adam. Eve has come out of Adam. So it's really interesting. It says, God blessed them when, when them was one and called their name Adam. And then later, you know, he pulls Adam in half, recreates a body, and now it's Adam and Eve. Anyway, there's, it's a mystery, and there's a lot of beauty in that. It would be a good thing to ponder about what men and women are and how, instead of having the sex wars, how very close we are. You know, why should it be men versus women? We are the same. We are from the same creation. And we are one as God's called lords over this planet. Um, so it's not he called Adam, he made Adam the man, lord of the planet, and gave him a wife. Adam and Eve are one. And the union between them is this beautiful, powerful, mysterious union. But that's not a topic that we're on right now. But uh, so... Let's just go through the remaining genealogy. So God told Adam and Eve, you're going to die if you eat this fruit. And they ate it and they didn't die, but they really did. It just took a while. And so Adam dies as promised in verse 5. And now we start to trace the line of Adam. And I'm not going to read the text, but I am going to bounce through the descendants. So you get Adam through Adam, you get Seth. Through Seth, Enosh, and that's where our story is today. Through Enosh, we have Canaan. Through Canaan, Mahalalel. Through Mahalalel, we get Jared. Are you counting? That's six generations. And on the seventh generation, there is a notable person. But uh, it's not that uh, these are like hit or miss people. This is the line of people who call on the name of the Lord. And now we get to verse 21, and there's this beautiful person. And Enoch, whose name is pretty close to Enosh, 
Enoch lived 65 years, and he begot Methuselah, and Enoch walked with God. Ah, finally, now we've got a reference to somebody seven generations after the creation. There is someone who is again walking with God. He has returned to the way humans were with the Creator, walking together on a journey with God. You know, we always want to settle down and build a great thing and but when we see God in the Bible, he's moving. He's usually walking. And the idea of being with him is not sitting with God as much as walking with God. He's on a journey. This planet's on a journey and journeying people. Uh, if you're going to move through life with the Lord, you're going to have to get used to change because he has missions to do and things to be about. And Enoch walked with God. And it's just a beautiful return back to the garden. He lives 365 years. It's all so symbolic. He's the seventh generation. He lives 365 years. Look at the end of his life. Everyone has died. It always ends with the same words because this is the consequence of our rebellion in the garden. It'll say, Adam lived this many years and he died. Seth lived this many years and he died. Enosh and he died. And it does that six times. When it gets to the seventh, now we're on the Sabbath, okay? Go back and listen to the lessons that we had about the Sabbath. It's so powerful because God has entered into a Sabbath. It's an unending Sabbath. And now the Sabbath human, the seventh human, it says, and Enoch walked with God and we don't hear of his death. And he was no more for God had taken him. So many unanswered questions here, you know. He took him. Why? How? To where did he take him? He pops up later in Scripture. But the point is, he has found the garden again. He's this exception to the rule. And it lets us know that there is a life with the Father. That it's not like all all discipline and curses, and it is, the door is there. And if we will enter the line, be a descendant of Enosh, a descendant of Seth, and walk as Enoch did, walk with God. And it says, and God took him. Okay, now back to our story. The very next human lives the longest of anyone. Methuselah is the son of Enoch. And Methuselah lives 969 years. And Methuselah gives birth to a son, and he names his son also Lamech. And not this is not Cain's descendant. It's just another descendant with that name. Um, and this is where the story begins to reform. There's going to be an entirely different chapter beginning, not just in this book, but in the story of God and humans. And let's, so let's read that. Verse 28, Lamech lived 182 years and he begot a son and he called his name Noah or Noach. He called his name Noach saying, this one will bring us comfort from our work and from the sorrow of our hands from the ground which Yahweh cursed. 
Um, this all hyperlinks right back to the garden and to the curse and to everything that was said and to the human experience after the fall of man. And so here's Noah. His name means rest, but it sounds like comfort. And all through this book, there are word plays. And so Noah rest, remember Sabbath and rest. And uh, so Noah gets this name and his father says he will bring us rest. Noah is the 10th generation after creation. And uh, a whole new life comes. But there's a word that's really important because we're going to see this word uh, a few more times. And that's the word sorrow. When Adam and Eve fell, God said to Adam, your, your relationship with the good earth that you are from, because the earth is now cursed because of you, your relationship to the earth is going to be one of sorrow. And to Eve, he says, and I will multiply your sorrows in birthing and raising children. This is now also going to affect you and your sorrow. And as we keep on going in the next chapter, we're going to see that word sorrow again. Only this time, Yahweh is going to sorrow. And so we want to put a circle around that word. And every time we see it, we want to know this is a, one of those red threads and it's not just, you know, one more, one more word that means like to be sad. You got to tie this back to the garden. You tie it to the tree uh, of the knowledge of Tov and Ra. And then you're going to drag this all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, and start running a reference on the concept of sorrow and the way this word is used. All these things, it's just a it's riches. If you've got the patience and if you care enough to dig deep, you're going to be rewarded. And so Noah gets introduced and with Noah, a big change. It's the end of chapter five, verse 32. When Noah was 500 years old, he begot, usually they just name one son, but in his case, they named three. Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And at this point, this book is about to spin wildly because a new chapter starting about the relationship of Yahweh and the human race. And it's going to be deep and beautiful and painful. Uh, so that's where we're going to land it today. Uh, yes, the very next episode is that weird section in chapter 6, verse 1, probably the weirdest verse in the entire Bible. So we're going to talk about it in our next episode of Thread, but I just want to encourage you again that Yahweh is searching the earth for those who will respond to His voice, and He is listening for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord and call out to him, establish our submission to him, uh, determine that we will manifest loyalty to him. You, you will never be a perfect person, and your relationship with God does not depend upon your perfection, but he is looking for loyalty, 
in those who walk with him. And so you determine to be loyal and that we determine to have an exclusive relationship with him. He is our only God, our only king. We will bow to no one else. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. Be in that number. I'm determined to finish my journey walking with the Lord and be in that number of people. I want to be part of God's remnant. He's called you to do the same. And if you live that life and if you care about nothing in this world except walking with him, you're going to get all these the treasures you didn't seek for, he will give you. That's just how he is. If you seek the Lord with all your heart, all these things just get added to you. And because you're seeking the Lord, you end up with a really great a series of relationships. You've got a special kind of friend that, that surrounds you because there are people like yourself and your life has purpose because you have a mission to accomplish and you have the adventure of the things that Yahweh leads you into. And when you marry, if you marry, you find yourself in a, a totally different kind of relationship if you marry someone who also calls upon the name of the Lord and he blesses you and you're just everything you touch, because this is our planet, it will respond to us. Opportunity will respond to us. But it, it always comes back to this, that loyalty, that calling exclusively upon the name of the Lord. Not that God is here to work for me and give me all the things I want in life, give me my very best life, give me all the goodies and keep all the bad things from happening to me. That has never been the plan. It will never be the plan. But that we serve him, that we stand with him in loyalty, in the spiritual war that is going on all around us, and we stand by him and we live a life of loyalty to the Lord. That will give you meaning. It will give you purpose and it will give you direction in your life. This is such an important study in a generation that has lost the compass. We have no more moral compass. Our political leaders are disasters. You can look in both parties. I don't care what country you're in. You'll just look around. Everyone holding power. It's just they've given up even trying to appear uh, to be anything but just grab power, hold power, use power, grab money. It is just open. And the, and the war is like that. We're moving to another stage in the battle for this planet. But our king is coming, and we will be there for him, and we're waiting for him, and we're calling on his name every day. Expect God to use you, because he's going to do that. I'll see you next time on Thread. 